Welcome to Captain's Log, where theology, philosophy, and culture meet sci-fi at warp speed. This is episode 18, Overflowing Grace in our Social Justice Conversation. We're in the midst of a philosophical debate within the church that has theological implications. The crux of this great debate is what lens we view the issues through. Let's be honest with some introductory observations before discussing how grace actually does pave the way forward. First, there is a spectrum within the thought process of sociological, cultural, and social justice engagement within evangelicalism. There are those who have entirely minimized or disregarded the gospel, and there are those who have totally denied the reality and pain of injustice while oversimplifying a response. However, there are also those who fall in the middle, trying to grapple with a faithful way to engage. We tend to focus on the two extremes of the perspective and paint everyone in one of those two lights. Second, we are guilty of talking past one another in the name of righteousness. The irony is that true righteousness would take the time to listen. Righteousness forbids us from compromising the gospel, but it also demands that we listen to our brothers and sisters. We don't have to ultimately agree or allow a synthesis of our position and theirs, but we do have to listen. In contemplating these issues and how they've come to the forefront of dialogue within the evangelical community, an unlikely passage came to mind as a way for us to think through and engage. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, cites the remarkable generosity of the Macedonian churches as an exhortation to overflow in generosity by grace as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-15 through 15, is a humbling read. Here's what it says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, 
so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now there are several thoughts from that passage that I'd like to highlight for consideration in this moment of contentious debate. Number one, Paul was writing to motivate the Corinthians, but did not issue his challenge as a command. I think that's an important point for us to ponder for a moment. So Paul literally stated that he did not write this as a command, but so that their love might be established as genuine. Secondly, instead of law, or a command, driving the motivation, joy, grace, and love are the driving forces that cause the action. It wasn't by Paul's command. It wasn't by the issuing of another law. Rather, Paul is seeking to motivate them, and he's doing so on the basis of joy, on the basis of grace, and on the basis of love. Those are the driving forces meant to motivate them towards an act of generosity. Number three, the overflowing act of generosity in contributing to the relief of the saints in Jerusalem is not all that is in view here. Actually, verse 7 indicates clearly that we should excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in love. Now, imagine if all our conversations surrounding these issues were empowered by overflowing grace, defined by an abundance of joy, and motivated by earnest love. With that as the precursor, let's take a moment to further discuss these issues in a way that I hope is helpful. First, consider that we've been affected more by the philosophies of the age than we think. I'd like to quote extensively from a work by Alfie Cohn called Punished by Rewards. Now, that work specifically is in context of rewards and punishments within the educational system. However, I think this quote is also applicable in this context as well. Quote, There is a time to admire the grace and persuasive power of an influential idea, and there is a time to fear its hold over us. The time to worry is when the idea is so widely shared that we no longer even notice it, when it is so deeply rooted that it feels to us like plain common sense. At that point when objections are not answered anymore because they are no longer even raised, we are not in control. We do not have the idea. It has us. End quote. Friends, the truth is that we've largely assumed the modus operandi of the culture, as well as church culture. When we start with incorrect presuppositions, then our trajectory is off from the start. His point, and I think what we need to consider here, is that when these types of ideas, whether they be church culture ideas, merely based on tradition or merely based on preference, or whether they be societal ideas, or cultural ideas, or social constructs, or New Age philosophies. Once either of those become so deeply enmeshed into our very 
own culture and our very own vocabulary to the point that we no longer address them, we no longer refute them, we no longer engage with them, at the point they just become assumed, then we're in danger. And I fear that on both sides, that's happening. It's important for us that we consider that we've been affected more by the philosophies of the age than we think. Second, we're coming at these issues from totally different operating paradigms. Now, imagine characters from The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia trying to have a conversation about cultural issues. They would have enough in common to get the big ideas, but they would certainly be operating from different vantage points. To put it in a more familiar way, imagine Captain Picard trying to explain to Han Solo the finer points of Federation diplomacy. Now, some are approaching social justice strictly from a theological basis, some are strictly approaching it from a sociological basis, and some try to blend the two. Consider for a moment, just for a moment, that you are engaging these topics in a way that fails to truly understand the depth or motivation of the other views. Is it possible that you have a blind spot on issues of race, not because you are racist, but because you're coming from an entirely different paradigm? Conversely, consider, even if only for a moment, that you are neglecting the wisdom of caution due to historical drifting into theological compromise. Is it possible that you have a blind spot on issues of theological significance not because you deny the gospel, but because you're coming from an entirely different paradigm? Third, none of us are immune from mission creep. Each of us is an idle factory and we can easily let the pure message of the gospel drift into our arrogant posture of orthodoxy or our arrogant posture of orthopraxy. Both can be equally guilty of letting the good news of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners be relegated to our own understanding and stance on the gospel instead. Both sides can be equally guilty of this of letting the gospel take second seat to issues of either our own vantage point, our own perspective of how things should be articulated, or our own formulation of how the gospel should lead to specific works within our cultural or sociological contexts. None of us are immune from mission creep. Just as a matter of practicality and, and to wrap up the discussion, there are some things that I think we should keep in mind. A, try to think outside your category while engaging these issues. Be willing to take a step back and assume for just a moment that the person you're having these conversations with doesn't necessarily fall either to the far left or to the far right of the spectrum that we referred to earlier, but rather that they're earnestly trying to engage with these issues in a way that's faithful to the gospel and that's being salt and light in the culture in which they live. Now, that might not be the case, but at least at that initial point of conversation, try to think outside your category and listen to what it is they have to say and the perspective in which they're engaging these issues. B. Keep the gospel central always 
And don't forget or neglect the impact of the gospel in and through our lives. It's important to understand how significant the gospel is. And it's also important to understand the significant impact that the gospel brings. C. Meditate on the character of God and the goodness of the gospel until you overflow in grace through acts, speech, faith, and love. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Captain's Log, where theology, philosophy, and culture meet sci-fi at warp speed. I wanted to take a moment just to remind you of a few things that you can check out. Of course, visit calvinistpicard.com where you can take a look at the Captain's blog. You can also listen to all of the other episodes of Captain's Log. You can also check us out on iTunes, and I'd be very appreciative if you'd take a moment to rate the show and also take a moment to leave your feedback, to leave a comment on the show on iTunes as well. I'd also like to remind you uh, that Media Blackout Week is just around the corner, actually in nine days now. And so you can visit CalvinistBacard.com and click on the Media Blackout Week tab and learn more about what it's about. But essentially, it's just going to be a week of unplugging from all types of media, whether it be TV, radio, social media, all of the above, and refocusing on other things. That's going to be September the 30th through October the 6th. You can also sign the participation form there on the page at calvinistpicard.com if you're interested in participating. Thanks for taking the time to listen. I hope you'll make sure to tune in next time for episode 19 of Captain's Alive.